Eyes on Oahu. I'm Sarah Doyle. Hello and welcome to the first episode of my podcast where I'm looking at real estate through a cultural lens. I'm focusing mainly on Oahu, which is an island of Hawaii. It's the third biggest island of Hawaii, of Hawaii and it's where Honolulu is. Uh, I am new to Ireland, so I thought, well, why not grab you guys by the hand and bring you with me on the adventure? Yeah. So, First episode, we are talking to Lauren C. Hayes. She is an attorney suing the city. Why? Well, there is a new bill that got put into place the day that I moved to Diamond Head, uh, August 1st. They are heavily policing and surveilling people who have uh, short-term vacation rentals that you would find on Airbnb, etc. Uh, so yeah, it's a hot topic of discussion. I really wanted to jump into that first. So without further ado, Eyes on Oahu, episode one. Mwah! Hi, Lauren. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. All right. Well, let's just dive in. The big question, what is Bill 89? Well, two, okay, two-tiered question. What is Bill 89 and why has it happened? So Bill 89 was passed by the city and county of Honolulu as an ordinance or an amendment to the land use ordinances. And the bill purports to be a balance of interests between residents who want to maintain their quiet neighborhoods in recognition of other residents who use this as supplemental income, but also in recognition of the economic interests of the state and tourism. So that's what it purports to be. Uh, and what it generally does is put further regulations on transient vacation rentals. And these transient vacation rentals uh, prior to Bill 89, which actually the last time it was regulated was in 1989, when the city and county uh, prohibited all transient vacation rentals, all short-term rentals, for anything that was provided for less than 30 days. So this bill puts more restrictions in place and is an attempt to further regulate, especially in light of all of the uh, social media platforms, you know, the hosting platforms that you can make all of these rentals on, making it uh, available and accessible to the everyday person to rent out their house on an international platform. So it's all, so it's always been illegal though, to unless you're in the resort zone. So for people who don't know, um, Oahu is, is very much um, segregated in zoning. So there's resort zone, there's residential zone, apartment zone, agriculture zone, commercial zone, and generally they don't mingle unless you have a non-conforming use certificate. Is that right? Generally, that's a very good overview, yes. Okay. <laughs> so the island of Oahu, which is its own county, city and county of Honolulu, has its own zoning restrictions. And every building and house has a zoning designation. Um, so if you are in a residential area, typically speaking, um, you know, short-term rentals are not allowed. Um, however, in terms of always, uh, prior to 1989, it was permissible to have short-term rentals because generally speaking, when you have these land use zoning and use restrictions, um, if there's not something explicitly put in the ordinances uh, that prohibits you from doing something. It's considered a permissible use. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I'm speaking very generally in broad terms here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so if it's not prohibited, you can use your property in that way. Right. So prior to 1989, 
you could have bed and breakfasts and you could have short-term rentals in your home. 1989 comes around and they put restrictions on it. So what you have in place up until this recent Bill 89 was uh, property owners who were operating their property as a bed and breakfast or a short-term rental prior to 1989 could obtain a non-conforming use certificate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are still some of those non-conforming use certificates out there that just renewed on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. And this Bill 89 further restricts that gray area that was left open from 1989. Mm -hmm. And so, not only restricts, but also heavily polices it, right? Is that, I mean, is that yes. part of it? They're really cracking down on, they actually have a team of people looking on Airbnb to make sure no one's doing the wrong thing. Correct. So, <laughs> so it's my understanding that the Department of Planning and Permitting, the DPP, mm -hmm. has hired a whole slew of you know, uh, new enforcement officers to not only research um, and just, it's my understanding that what they're doing is they're going online, they're looking at all of these hosting platforms, trying to find um, any indicia of a short-term rental to determine if it's a violation of this new bill. Mm -hmm. So the new bill puts restrictions on not just the use of the property, but also the advertisement of the property. Mm -hmm. So it can be two separate violations um, together or separately, but you could have more than one violation. And then, and so, and, and someone like Airbnb can get in trouble as well, right? They, they are now liable for hosting these ad, advertise, ad, advertisements. Yes. Or is it just the person putting, putting their property on? The liability falls primarily to the owner, the property manager, or the proprietor of the property. Mm -hmm. So there are some regulations in Bill 89 for hosting platforms. They don't go into effect until October 1st, 2020, mm -hmm. and there are disclosure requirements. Mm -hmm. So they basically have to disclose to the government, um, these are all the people who are advertising on our hosting platform that may be in violation of the law. Mm -hmm. And so. then, and then there's massive fines, right? I mean, this is the clincher. This is what's really c making people get off, get off Airbnb. Yes. Uh, what, what is it? A thousand dollars a day up to $25,000 a day. If you keep going, is that right? Close. Uh, there are thousand dollar <laughs> day fines. There's $5,000 a day fines and it's up to $10,000 a day fines. And um, those and, are a lot more than they used to be. Mm -hmm. So the point is to crack down on these short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. um, and what I should make clear is that between 1989 and this new Bill 89, the gray area has been that if you provided your dwelling unit for 30 days or more, it was a lawful short-term rental. Mm-hmm. And you don't fall under this definition of a transient vacation rental. Mm -hmm. And so for the past uh, about 30 years, there's been numerous operators, um, you know, property owners and property managers who have conducted their business this way mm -hmm. and have used this even as a defense to a notice of violation. And in many instances, the DPP has recognized that that is a valid use of their property. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what a lot of people have been doing, um, and this is what I think Bill 89 is really trying to crack down on, is mm -hmm. this gray area. Um, what 
prior to Bill 89, what owners would do is they would enter into 30-day contracts. Mm -hmm. They might know that the person is going to stay less, uh, and they may charge a per diem rate, but they would provide the unit or the house for their exclusive use for 30 days. Nobody else, no um, owner could come back in. Even if they stayed longer, came earlier, it's you have 30-day block. Um, so essentially it would be a property owner would rent their house no more than 12 times a year. And mm -hmm. those 30-day blocks didn't overlap. You know, So if somebody was coming in in the middle of June, they had all of June. And that meant that even if they didn't stay the full 30 days, the house stayed empty. You know, so it was with that gray area, there was a lot of people who were operating um, lawfully for the last mm -hmm. 30 years. Mm -hmm. So, but how is then 89 affecting them? If it's, if they're working, if they've always been working legally, uh, what right. is it about Bill 89 that's getting in the way of how they're doing business? So there's a specific provision in Bill 89 that, uh, cracks down on all of the possible loopholes, um, that gray area of those 30 days. So what Bill 89 says is that if you rent or offer to rent or even solicit to rent for less than 30 days, then you're not classified as a legal short-term rental. You fall under this definition of an illegal short-term mm -hmm. rental. Um, if you knowingly provide the unit for less than 30 days, so even if your contract is like, hey, you get it 30 days, here's your flat fee, um, but I know you're going to show up, you know, sometime, you know, not within that 30 day or within that 30 days, but not. Okay. That could be construed that they're not going to stay for 30 days. Mm -hmm. um, it could also be if you advertise you know, for less than 30 days, they may use that to say, well, you knew that they were not going to stay for the full 30 days, even though your contract says 30 mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways or um, the additional compensation. If you charge a per diem, um, you know, most rentals are by the day. If you charge a per diem and it's less than the 30 days, then the, the DPPs, you know, this new law, the DPP would enforce that as saying, that is an illegal short-term rental. Right. Yes, so Okay. So that's all yeah. interesting. I want to get to that because I know that's that's about your lawsuit. I, I guess I would think predominantly who's going to be affected by this are the people who I guess were conducting illegal business by having short-term, like maybe say three groups in, in one month. Um, um, and, and not living there, maybe they're a foreign investor or maybe they have a second uh, home on the island and they have a ton of short-term va vacationers coming in and now they're in the position where it's probably not worth it anymore because of those fines. So I guess, like, in your opinion, what, what is the in incentive for them to hold on to their, their second property now or, or, or for people to come and invest on Oahu? Um, with this massive shift? I mean, is it just like having to shift your business model or, uh, I mean, what happens now? <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer to that is definitely uh, complicated. Um, and in that particular scenario, there are people that were not operating lawfully. You know, there are people that even under the old, the old law and this kind of gray area where people had been um, deemed to have been operating lawfully, for the past 30 years, there are definitely still people out there that were, 
you know, like you said, three rentals in a month. Um, there, that was never legal, you know, since 1989. (laughs) So for those people, um, you know, it's definitely an individual decision as to what kind of investment they made and what kind of return on investment and whether or not it's going to be economically viable for them to comply with the law. Um, and I think that was a, a big incentive on the part of the legislature to create this bill, um, that in getting rid of these definitively illegal short-term vacation rentals, that that would free up some housing uh, for residents. For residents, right. So for right. Long, long-term renters. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and so do you, I mean, you're not, uh, I, as far as I know, you're not psychic and I know you're not um, an economist, but like what, what, do you, what, do, what do you project is going to happen if this, if nothing's, you know, do you think people are just going to go underground and get on the dark web and find different ways to do the same thing we've been doing with um, home shares or do you really think we're going to see in the next couple of years something very different happen on Oahu and then, I mean, are, are other countries watching us to see if they should do it too? That's about four questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for the most part, most of the illegal, truly illegal, like you said, the three times a month, multiple uh, residents within that 30 days or multiple tenants within 30 days, that those people are going to, for the most part, go away. Mm. However, like every law, there will always be people who are willing to risk it and willing to break the law um, and don't necessarily <laughs> care about the, the you know, punishment, if you will. And they'll so find a way. Yeah. Right. They're going to yeah. find a way. There's always going to be a few. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think any law ever prevents or has 100% compliance, if you will. Right. But I think for the majority, I think a lot of people will change their business model, uh, maybe, you know, choose different properties, maybe sell a property that really can't be used as a, uh, short-term rental or 30-day rentals or even longer-term rentals doesn't work for their business model, they may try and get um, a bed and breakfast certificate when those become available. Mm-hmm. That may be an option for people. Um, is there Are there going to be options? Because I know a bed and breakfast is defined as you are, it's owner-occupied. So what I, I thought transient vacation rental is uh, not, there is no owner there, right? The owner is absent is that right it's that's that's the definition of transient vacation rental or well in the definition of transient vacation Mm. rental there is not a provision that requires the owner to be there okay nor is there a provision that says the owner cannot be there okay um are they are they going to be permit are giving ncus for that or just for bed and breakfast where the owner is is there so the bed and breakfast won't, the new bed and breakfasts won't be getting a non-conforming use okay. because the law specifically wrote in a provision allowing bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. So they're opening up a new market. So that's so, brand new. That's, so but that, there's, there's always yeah. been bed and breakfast, but now they're, allow, they're going to allow for more. Yeah. So unlike the short-term rental market where the past 30 years, there's been groups of people operating under this. Um, interpretation of the law and the DPP has been enforcing it that way that if you rent for 30 day blocks of time, you know, no more than 12 rental agreements in a year, then you're, you're in conformance with the law. Mm-hmm. The bed and breakfasts that were prohibited along with short term rentals back in 1989, 
there has not been a gray area. Um, so there's been a very small amount of bed and breakfasts on Oahu, and they really had the market cornered, if you will, because there was mm-hmm. only a handful of them. So this is an interesting opportunity, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. There may mm-hmm. be um, a lot of people who just switch from these short-term rentals, the one renter a month, to a bed and breakfast. Right. Uh, and try to obtain those certificates. Mm. So because it will essentially be... Um, a license, if you will, yes, you know, to operate this bed and breakfast. But there's still, it's such a small percentage. I think. I mean, if we're if we're they they can't like you you said before, five to ten thousand maybe illegal, maybe illegally yeah. operating short term vacation rentals, and they've stated in 2020 they're going to give out sixteen hundred and ninety nine bed and bre- bed and breakfast licenses. Right. So that's not a lot compared to how many there are. So I, I yeah. guess. No matter what, every, every, everything is probably looking different, do you think? I think it will look a lot yeah. different. Um, I think there will be, you know, because this Bill 89 affects a lot of people. It does affect the residents who want the nice, quiet neighborhoods like all of us residents really would love. Um, you know, it, but it also affects residents who have been supplementing their income that they legitimately, you know, maybe they have an Ohana house or a separate bedroom, or they just rent out one of their rooms, and that room is exclusively used for short-term rentals in those 30-day blocks. Um, there are things that have given, you know, supplemental income to residents. Then you have the foreign investors um, who don't live here, and they just own multiple properties, um, or we have entire industries that have been dependent on this. You know, mm-hmm. property management companies who run the properties owned by the foreign investors. Um, and you even have uh, kind of a trickle down market effect with cleaning companies and handymans and all of these things that are um, necessary and incidental to short term rentals. Mm-hmm. So it is going to affect a lot of people. And I think there will be areas on Oahu that are affected differently. You know, especially with these bed and breakfasts, I suspect it will be a lot of the people who have been supplementing their income with these valid 30-day rental agreements may switch over to a bed and breakfast uh, just because it's cleaner. Uh, They have a license. There's no questions um, as to whether or not they're legal. Mm -hmm. Which is still a $1,000 to apply and $2,000 a year to right upkeep so but (laughs) right there's there's always going to be costs involved you know and a lot of these people who've been operating under this gray area if you will this Mm -hmm. 30 day rental period no more than 12 renters a year Mm -hmm. um most of them to be in compliance with the law have gotten their get license so that they have their general excise tax license their tat license You know, so trying to be in compliance with all Mm. of the applicable laws, Mm -hmm. whereas you definitely still have the illegal, truly illegal people who don't pay their taxes, don't, you know, conform to the one renter a month. Mm -hmm. Um, So it will it will change the market. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to watch this space to see how, I guess. So tell me about sure. your, your lawsuit then. What's, who are you representing? 
What are you trying to change? What, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting to me. I mean, especially as an Australian, uh, we've talked previously about it when, when it all comes down to the Constitution and your rights as an American. So like, talk, talk me through that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, as an attorney, I represent an organization called the Kokua Coalition. We filed a lawsuit in federal district court on August 1st um, when the bill went into effect. And I will say as a, not a disclaimer or caveat, but just for understanding purposes, the bill does not encompass every single possible claim. It doesn't encompass every uh defect that can be found in the bill itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't encompass everybody's rights. So we are representing one group of, um, you know, short-term rental, the legal short-term rentals, the ones who have been operating with this 30-day gray area, if you will. They've Mm -hmm. been operating with this understanding for years. Mm -hmm. So the lawsuit aims at specific provisions of Bill 89. So generally speaking, the legislature creates the law, the judicial branch uh, interprets the law, can maybe modify the law. Um, So when you, as an attorney, as when you file a lawsuit on a specific statute or bill, and the purpose of the lawsuit is to invalidate the bill, um, you're not going to be able to invalidate the entire thing. I know that's been a, okay. a common misconception among so people. So everyone's, everyone's like, oh, yeah. you're getting rid of it. Right. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, that, that's yeah. not how any of that works. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I can't, even if I had a valid legal argument, generally courts are not going to invalidate an entire bill that mm-hmm. was passed by a legislative body. They're going to parse out specific pieces of the bill and find out, okay, well, does this specific provision violate the law enough that I have the authority to invalidate that specific provision, mm-hmm. you know, and they look at the bill as a whole. And so it's, it's a complicated process trying to invalidate pieces of a bill. Mm-hmm. So what are so the what, pieces you were trying to invalidate? <laughs> <laughs> so the pieces that we asserted, um, there are counts in the complaint, if you will. So mm-hmm. they're um, individual, legal arguments Mm -hmm. in the complaint itself. Mm -hmm. We asserted 12 counts in our complaint and this is all publicly filed. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this is something that the public can see um, and get records of as well. Mm -hmm. But generally, and I'm going to kind of condense it as best I can Mm -hmm. (laughs) try and take out (laughs) as much legalese as I can. Excellent. Um, So one of the first areas that we asserted is, um, it's a constitutionally protected right called a vested right. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's a big like crux of our argument is that for the past 30 years, it has been permissible for um, property owners, property managers to enter into 30-day contracts mm-hmm. and give exclusive use of the property for 30 days uh, to under one rental agreement. Um, And we also have a Hawaii statute, the Zoning Enabling Act, uh, Mm -hmm. which is HRS Chapter 46-4. And that particular statute prohibits counties when they are lawfully enacting zoning laws and regulations. It prohibits them from uh, taking away permissible residential uses. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm paraphrasing and Mm -hmm. trying to condense it down for you. 
Um, but basically it's saying that if something was permissible prior to this new law, mm-hmm. you have a right to continue using your property in that previously lawful manner. Mm-hmm. And so generally speaking, when counties, cause counties have the authority to do this, mm-hmm. you know, they can in a, enact reasonable zoning and land use ordinances across the nation. Mm-hmm. And what will typically happen is in recognition of something that was previously lawful, but tomorrow is unlawful, the county um, will enact what's called a non-conforming use. So they'll have, they'll build in a provision that says, hey, we recognize this used to be lawful yesterday. And it's, you know, I can't constitutionally stop you from continuing to use it. So I'm going to allow you, if you can prove that you have this, what's called a vested right, to come get a non-conforming use certificate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the crux of our argument okay. know, because that's the type of um, the group and organization that we represent is people who had been renting under this, you know, previous interpretation and had been doing this lawfully for the past 30 years. Right. So some of the other provisions that we asserted in the complaint um, deal with the disclosure. So mm-hmm. the disclosure requirements by the hosting platform to give the user's personal information, including, you know, how many um, uh, rentals they had and the price and, you know, the names and address of the user, the person who's posting the advertisement, that 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 mass disclosure of information mm-hmm. violates a number of things. Mm-hmm violates um, the both the U.S. and Hawaii constitutions. Which um, amendments? So the U.S. Constitution would be the Fourth Amendment search Fourth and Amendment? seizure. That's right, okay. Right, so because generally speaking, if law enforcement wants to get your information, they have to obtain a search warrant. Mm-hmm. They have to get a subpoena. They have to get mm-hmm. some type of authority to get your personal information. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're saying, hey, you you can't just disclose all of that personal information. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the Hawaii state constitution has an additional amendment that the U.S. constitution doesn't, and that's mm-hmm. the right to privacy. And so it's a specifically enumerated right, uh, just like, you know, the right to unlawful, you know, um, the prohibition against unlawful search and seizure. Mm-hmm. Hawaii says you have a right to your um, personal information being kept private. Mm-hmm. So we also asserted a, um, a federal statute, the, uh, oh, excuse me, sorry. The stored communications act, which deals with this type of information mm-hmm. stored online. And, um, there's a process that the federal statute has mm-hmm. if the government agency wants this private information. They have to go through a process and there's nothing in Bill 89 that states that they'll comport with that process. Mm-hmm. So that's another one of our claims. And okay. it's actually several. Um, the other ones would be free speech under the First uh-huh. Amendment. Cool. That <laughs> I know it's always fun asserting constitutional it, it, it claims. It is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so but the free speech claim deals with the restrictions on the advertisements right? You know, because it says that you can't have minimum stays mm-hmm. or per diem amounts. So it's restricting um, commercial speech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of the other claims that we have include due process. Um, shortly after the bill was enacted, you know, typically there's more time 
between when a bill is passed and when mm-hmm. it goes into effect. Right. Okay. Um, this was a very short turnaround. It was the end of June. I want to say June 17th when mm-hmm. it was passed around there. Uh, and it went into effect August 1st. And in the interim, the Department of Planning and Permitting, which is the agency authorized with the enforcement of the bill, the mm-hmm. land use ordinances, mm-hmm. they uh, disseminated information based on this like frequently asked questions. So they created this FAQ sheet. Yes. And the way that the FAQ sheet read to the public was that it was, this is how we're going to enforce the law. These are the rules. Um, and this is our interpretation of the law. In our complaint, we said that that's illegal rulemaking because when an agency has the authority to enforce a law, they have to go through the process, the Hawaii Administrative Procedures Act Mm -hmm. um, of rulemaking. And there's an entire uh, process that they have to go through with timing and public notice and the ability of the public to comment on the rules uh, because an agency isn't you know, it, it falls under the executive branch, mm-hmm. but the agency isn't um, elected like our executive branch is. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we have this protection in place. Agencies have to follow this very specific procedure because the rules that they create that are interpreting the law are enforceable against the public. Uh-huh. And so we're saying that FAQ sheet was constituted illegal rulemaking in violation of um you know, the Hawaii statute chapter 91. Right. So, and the other thing was in uh, bill 89, Mm -hmm. typically when you get a notice of violation under the land use ordinance, uh, you are afforded the opportunity to appeal. So what would happen is you get a notice of violation. If you don't correct it, you get what's called a notice of order. The order becomes final after X number of days. And then you can either, um, you have to appeal it within a you're subject to the fines. But you, because you have this right to appeal, you get to go to the Zoning Board of Appeals. Right. And from the Zoning Board of Appeals, you can appeal further and get into circuit court. Mm-hmm. Now, Bill 89 didn't have any provision built in there that said if you violate and you get a notice of order, um, you know, that you can appeal. And because Mm -hmm. it didn't include that provision, we said, you know, you are violating our due process rights, Mm -hmm. our procedural due process and substantive due process. Um, What what, is that an amendment of, of the uh, the constitution? So it is, it's under both the um, Hawaii and the federal constitution. Mm -hmm. So federal constitution, um, it's the 14th Amendment right to due process incorporated mm-hmm. against the states under the Fifth Amendment. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, and it's due process is there's two facets to due process. Mm-hmm. There's procedural due process, which means that you have the right to um, notice an opportunity to appeal. Right. Essentially. Okay. Interesting. Um, whereas substantive due process says, hey, you're affecting my substantive rights. You know, and I have I have a right to appeal that. So okay, it's a very truncated version of right. No, process. that's yeah. Push. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so the other two areas that we focused on, or yeah. actually the last area we focused on, was the excessive fines. Right. So under Eighth Amendment, under the U.S. Constitution, um, which is you, I'm sorry. 
What what what's the Eighth Amendment? Oh, so the Eighth Amendment. There's a few clauses within the Eighth Amendment, mm-hmm. and the one we focused on mm-hmm. was um, excessive fines. Okay. So you have essentially have the right um, to not be charged excessive fines, and that's right. a very general way of stating the Eighth Amendment. But in this context and the case law that has developed, it says that the fine should be proportional to the crime. Right. You know, so in this instance, we have fines of $5,000, $10,000 a day. And for probably most, if not the majority of these short-term rentals, even the ones operating lawfully under these 30-day contracts, they're not charging $5,000 a day, $10,000 a day. I'm sure there are a few, uh, but those I think are few and far between. Mm -hmm. So we have this excessive fines argument in there. So there are are additional arguments to be made. And I know Mm -hmm. that there are um, other complaints that have been filed, you know, so. Uh, So, but essentially you're hoping to have these, the, the, the group of people who are, are having 30 day rentals, you're just hoping that they can just have someone in for 10 days of that 30 days and not get in trouble, essentially. Is that like your biggest aim or more to it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's definitely more to it. Um, but, you know, the crux of the argument is yeah. protecting those vested rights. So, people mm. who, you know, we have numerous property owners, property managers who have been operating this way for years. Mm. They enter into 30-day contracts um, and and they have exclusive use of the property for 30 days, whether they stay the full 30 days or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so protecting that interest is probably a primary concern um, and objective of our lawsuit. So, so, and then what if a, a visitor right now has gone on Airbnb and seen a 30 day only and called up the owner and said, Hey, I only want to come for 10 days. And the owner says, it's okay. It's fine. We'll figure it out. I'll, you know, email you and we'll just get off, get off the Airbnb, get out of the hair of the DPP. Um, what, what happens if they turn up, um, for their Christmas celebration and the owner says, sorry, no can do. You have to stay the whole 30 days. I mean, is that likely? Who, who do they turn to? What right do they have as a, as a visitor? So I don't think that that's going to be a likely scenario. Um, one, in our lawsuit, uh, we filed a TRO motion. The city opposed it, but they clarified a lot of the positions. And one of which is they clarified that they're, and this is from their fact sheet, and they have since changed their fact sheet, mm-hmm. that the renter doesn't have to physically occupy it for 30 days. Okay. There's nothing in the law that requires the visitor, the renter to physically occupy the property the entire time. You know, there are definitely scenarios where um, you rent for 30 days. You know, you have entire construction crews coming over for a project. I need a shorter term rental. I need 30 days. I got a short project. But hey, we got done in 25 days. They're not going to be uh the renters are not going to be penalized for that. So I don't think that there are going to be um, owners that would demand somebody stay the 30 days. And if they do, they they can't make that demand mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on the visitor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And the law doesn't penalize the visitor. So the visitor is not going to be fined for staying less than 30 days. Okay. Yeah. 
so the it's not the visitors um you know fault or it's not their requirement to be in compliance with the law but if they've um, gotten off airbnb and they're just dealing one-on-one on on email they mm-hmm. they do have the right to go complain to someone here or i mean that's just the risk you take i guess if you... <laughs> well that would definitely be uh an interesting scenario <laughs> if somebody tried to demand that you save the entire 30 days um they could complain to the DPP. Uh, There is a mechanism in the new Bill 89 for essentially anybody to file a complaint. Um, You know, but I mean, generally, I would I would recommend telling them like, no, I have a contract with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and I get to do what's under the contract. Right. Right. You know, and typically in that scenario, the owner will will back down. Uh, most reasonable people <laughs> you would, would think. It, yeah, mo- yeah. You would think. Um, <laughs> well, I course, mean, it just know. seems, so, you know, so I've read the FAQ and um, it, it it does seem unreasonable, some of that language about what they're expecting, you know, that yeah, mm-hmm. you can't, can't stay for less than 30 days. It's like, who are you to tell me? <laughs> like, Right, right. <laughs> so it's not putting regulations on the visitor. So the DPP did clarify that the city clarified that in their opposition to our TRO motion, Mm -hmm. that there's not a requirement to physically be there for the 30 days. Right. You know, I mean, we have surf contests, uh, on the North shore every winter and you don't know how long the surf is going to be good. You Mm. don't know if they're going to decide to host, you know, the world famous surf contests or not. Um, but, you know, I, I can definitely see those groups of people that come in, surfers from all over the world, mm. saying, hey, I need a 30-day contract because the month of December or January is supposed to be really good surf. But then, oh, you know, a storm came, the waves went away, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I don't have to physically be in there. Mm. Yeah. So, and do you think uh, th- this is, we're going to just see a return to it? anyone visiting Oahu are mostly going to stay in Waikiki? Uh, possibly. I mean, there's always going to be people who are um, more cautious, you know, and don't want to just, they just want a nice, easy vacation and mm-hmm. don't want to deal with the possibility of an issue. But at the same token, there's still going to be people who are renting. And I think that I think what I and what I hope will happen mm-hmm. with the lawsuit is that it will clarify this gray area that we've been operating in for 30 years is that mm-hmm. you get these 30 day rentals so that if there's some clarity from the lawsuit that says, yes, you know, it, you know, theoretically speaking, if I if we prevail, um, that, yes, if you have a 30 day rental contract that you don't physically have to be there for the mm-hmm. 30 days mm-hmm. um, and you can operate as we have been in the past. Right. Um, and then I guess that just yeah. means people who, who are um, have been operating, say, they're, you know, a, a second home in Kailua for mm-hmm. short term rentals. They're going to just have to relook at, at, at it as an investment and look at it as something that's either for long term renters or for 30 day stays right and that's that's just the way it is i guess yeah um yeah <laughs> unless they go to the dark yeah. web <laughs> yeah um i wanted to um just get your reaction to um something that paul brubaker said he's um i don't know if you know him but he's a really respected and eccentric and 
I, I want him on this show sometime. He's an economist and he's, mm-hmm. he, he seems to be a, a little anti um, Bill 89. So I just wanted to, um, I mean, I think everyone wants to find what's fairest for homeowners, long-term renters and visitors and investors. So, I mean, no one's ever, it's impossible to make everyone happy, I guess. But right. he said, I just want to, yeah, these two points. Um, he said, Hawaiian tourism policy is protectionist. Um, resort ghettos are created through exclusionary zoning to preserve the market power of (laughs) oligopolistic global (laughs) lodging brands. He says it's time to restore urban economic rationality and to repeal the segregation of residential and commercial land use, which we, we talked about before. His idea is a cap-and-trade allocation system for revocable, fixed-interval, variable, as in seasonable, seasonal, tradable permits to operate small-scale vacation rentals integrated into communities, providing authentic cultural experiences and spatial dispersion of, of economic net benefits. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, besides it being a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> And clearly well articulated. I, I think you should say uh, oligopolistic twice a day. Right? I'm not sure if I can do it once a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there is, there's definitely some um, accuracy behind what he's saying, you know, um, but there's a lot to parse out in what he's saying. So the legislature creates the laws and they can craft them essentially how they want. And the legislature is voted on by the people. And that's why it's so important that the residents vote in elections, you know, so they can determine who is creating these laws. Um, But the law can always change. You know, that's something you asked earlier about investors. Um, The law can always change. The next Mm -hmm. election cycle, people can come in and say, you know what, I want to repeal Bill 89, or I want to modify Bill 89, Mm -hmm. or amend it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the law can always change. In terms of this cap and trade idea, it's, you know, I'm not an economist, um, but it's not a bad idea because the, the problem with the short-term rentals and the benefits of the short-term rentals, the whole idea of it is complicated and it affects so many um, individuals and parties and um, community contributors, you know, so it's a, it is a complicated question. And there are definitely areas that are specifically zoned for tourism um, you know, and a, a common phrase you may hear among uh, Hawaii residents is that nobody wants to mess with the golden goose, and that's tourism. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, Hawaii relies on the tourism. Uh, my personal opinion is that mm-hmm. most of the tourists that come here, they come here because of Hawaii's beauty, mm-hmm. not because of giant hotels in Waikiki. Um, they come here because of the pristine ocean and the mountains and the waterfalls and the rainforest. Um, you know, so having a sense of, of true Hawaii, of the culture, of the aloha that you only get really from the residents, um, I, I personally think is something that is valuable and as valuable as the Waikiki tourism. And maybe a cap and trade is... Uh, one way of capturing that market and um, while still preserving some of the beauty, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not an economist and whether or not that would be 
um, feasible and, you know, manageable. I'm not sure, but it's, but feasibly it, it could be, happen if someone, yeah. um, gives a better way to do it and, and the bill right. could be amended. Right. Yeah. I, with everything, you know, all the laws that we pass, um, here in Hawaii, there, people have different ideas. Some are better ideas. Some are uh -huh. more efficient ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and some bills are passed more aimed more towards benefiting one group of people, um, than another group of people, mm -hmm. not saying that that's necessarily fair or right, but you know, that's, um, kind of the beauty of our legislative system is that you can have these different laws and you can create and enact and modify and mm -hmm. repeal. Uh, it's a continual process to make it better. Mm -hmm. Well, or, or maybe, I mean, my advice is go camping. I, I went camping <laughs> for $10 a night on the weekend up on the North shore, right on the ocean, just with a turtle friend. So maybe there will see yeah. a resurgence. <laughs> yeah. I, I personally prefer camping yeah. and I'd personally rather go camping than, yeah. Yeah, but, but it is also because I live here. So and there you go. Exactly. You don't need yeah. the Airbnb of it. Well, thank you right. so much, Lauren, for coming on the first episode of Eyes on Oahu. Absolutely. You got 89. You. Um, uh, yeah, you're awesome. And that was really informative. So I'll put Good. your details down. If anyone is interested, maybe they, they can contact you and you, you can help them out in some way. And I also am happy to help people out. So just comments, questions, subscribe, all that good stuff. And thank you. Have a great day. Aloha. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye.